Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Welcome to each one. Welcome to Brother Tim and his family, part of it. Certainly wish your family the grace of God in a time of unexpected. None of us would have ever thought that uh, their family, as we talked about their homecoming and the care and the nurture and the rest and uh, all the efforts that were put into having the house a restful place when they come, none of us would have ever imagined what God would allow in their journey. And uh, we certainly don't understand, but uh, we do trust. God is still God, and we trust that... uh, the Lapp family will experience his mercies and grace in a new way that uh, can only be experienced in such times of difficulty, perhaps. Amen. Shall we, uh, maybe if we're able, let's stand together and spend a moment in prayer. Our God, again, we do pause in your presence. Our hearts are full this morning, so we again realize your sovereignty and your grace. We do ask again today a blessing upon the Lapp family and our brother Tim and his children here, as his wife is uh, separated at this time, Lord, and joined her family in uh, this great moment of trial. Father, we pray a blessing on each one and ask a special grace in each of their lives. They may sense your strong arms about them. Father, we also are thankful this morning that we have your word before us. We are again blessed with freedom to gather to be taught, to be exhorted, to look into the scriptures. Father, we just sense your we just sense a need of you to be here among us. And we ask that you would continue to bless this assembly. Thank you for how you have blessed and directed so far. And we just ask that you would continue Father, we ask that uh, your word would be a living word again to our hearts here today. Your spirit would be a living spirit among us, in us and among us, working, perfecting the graces of our God in our lives. So, Father, we again commit this time to you and ask that you would bless each person here today with a special revelation of Jesus, His kingdom and His grace. Father, that we may be more fully convinced 
that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that we cannot come to God by any other means but by Jesus. So again, meet with us, Father, and bless us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I invite your attention this morning to the scriptures again. And also, I'd like to, before we go too far, I'd like to actually just pull out our little blue booklet again. uh, Confession of Faith and Practice. And uh, refer to a statement in our statement of faith. And then we will share, not uh, directly, just uh, a message that uh, finds its uh, truth in a true in uh, the scriptures, but uh, is highlighted in our uh, booklet of faith and practice. <clears throat> Uh, page 10 to the number 12, the subject is discipleship. And it says this, We believe and confess that every born-again believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ. I suppose most of our message will uh, surround that uh, term a bit. But uh, maybe I'll just read the other points as we may re- uh, refer to them a bit. We believe and confess that every born-again believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Therefore, A, we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. We are consistently learning to yield our lives to Jesus in loving obedience. B, we should live in this world as strangers looking for our home in heaven. And that was... uh, Uh, Doug covered that point this morning very well. Appreciated that. See, all that we are and have belongs to Christ. Family ties, possessions, all personal dreams and purposes, and even our whole lives are subject to our Master. And D, rather than accumulate wealth, personal luxuries and securities, we rather choose to give where there is need in the kingdom. So we have uh, we have the the title discipleship, and uh, we believe and confess that every born again believer is a disciple of Jesus. <clears throat> I've titled today's message, "Whose Disciple Am I?" Whose disciple am I? <clears throat> Let's uh, take a moment and explore the word disciple just a little bit. I suspect most of us know what it means. Uh, but it's always good to refresh our memory. A disciple, as the word is used in Scripture, and probably even, I would say, in our uh, uh, the way we would use the word if we used it. It's probably not a word we use real commonly. But a disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who follows another's teachings. And if you recall, um, of course, there were the disciples of Jesus, but there were also those who were uh, 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 noted as the disciples of John. Why were they noted as the disciples of John? Uh, 
who was the forerunner of Christ. It was because they were listening to him. They were, uh, they made themselves students of John and of his message and of what he had to say. Uh, they sat at his feet, perhaps. The definition goes on. It says that a disciple is not only a pupil, but an adherent. Uh, You know, in other words, it's one who not only sits and listens to what is said, but then follows what is said, uh, follows what is taught, embraces what is taught, uh, lives out what is taught. In that sense, we uh, the uh, disciple becomes an imitator of his teacher because he is listening to his teacher, he's listening to what his teacher is, is, uh, is teaching him, and then he follows it. <clears throat> and of course, as we, uh, as uh, followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, we follow him, we imitate him, we become uh, students of him. Jesus made this comment in John 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Uh, You know, as we, as a disciple of Jesus, we are a student, we are a learner, and then we, our lives should represent the fruit of what he teaches us is basically what it boils down to. Uh, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. We could maybe ask the question, is everyone who professes faith in Christ a disciple? Is everyone who professes faith in Christ a disciple? Or... We could ask this question, is there a difference between a disciple and a believer? Our statement says that uh, we believe and confess that every born-again believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, I trust that, I would like to think that that statement is true. I'll say it this way, every born-again believer should be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They should make it their uh, priority, their goal, their purpose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But just the fact that a person has experienced some kind of an experience with the Lord, perhaps a new, uh, even a new birth, doesn't necessarily guarantee, I don't believe, that the person is automatically a disciple of Jesus Christ. Think about that. <clears throat> The uh, well, let's let's take it. Let's look at this scripture, John chapter eight. <clears throat> Turn to that one, <clears throat> John chapter eight. Try to answer some of those questions that we just raised. John eight verse thirty. says this, and as he spake these words, many believed on him. Now, were they disciples? They believed on him. 
to that make him disciples. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And that actually answers all the questions that I just asked. Uh, is everyone who uh, claims to be a believer, claims to be a follower of Christ, uh, uh, are they automatically disciples? And I think Jesus very, very well clarifies it here that if we continue in his teachings, then we are his disciples. And, and that word indeed is simply of a truth, of a surety. Then you are my disciple. Uh, if we continue in his uh, teachings, in his word. <clears throat> you know, we, we are all disciples. Every one of us. We are all disciples. In fact, I dare say, I believe I dare say that every person in the world is a disciple. They're all disciples. It's, no, it's more a matter of who are the disciples of. And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves as well. Who are we disciples of? There's this uh, uh, in John. Actually, we are in John. So just turn over to chapter 9, uh, verse 28. There was this uh, gentleman who was born blind and he Jesus healed him and uh, in the... Uh, of course, in the whole discourse of things, he was uh, called to the to give an answer to the Jews of how he was healed. And uh, in verse uh, in verse twenty eight, it says that they reviled him and said, "Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple." You now it's just a little verse that kind of. You know, you are his disciple. We're Moses' disciple. We're all we're all disciples. You know, we're we're disciples of uh, something, someone, somewhere, somehow. <clears throat> but the call is uh, obviously in the scripture. The call is to be a disciple of Christ, and uh, so we'd like to uh, take a little bit of time this morning and just to consider uh, the matter of discipleship. Uh, whose disciple am I? Who is discipling me? <clears throat> there are uh, there are all sorts of different levels of discipleship. Obviously, uh, when we think about discipleship or being a student or being a learner, uh, I sat in this room on Monday from about nine forty-five to two fifteen in the afternoon, and I was a I wasn't really a disciple. I was here, but uh, the uh, the uh, program was run by uh, several of the major uh, chemical companies in the, the world, and uh, so obviously they uh, are trying to uh, convince us of their uh, propaganda. But I'm a little bit of a reluctant disciple with those uh, folks. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I'm in agriculture, so I do uh, try to stay with it a bit. But there's that whole perspective of being a disciple of that aspect of things. There are other places I could go and uh, and 
the winter time is when these kind of meetings take place. And I could become a disciple of the uh, the organic uh, promoters, you know. Uh, all those, you know, and that's a totally opposing uh, perspective of what was taking place in here on Monday. Uh, but just to show you the different uh, contrasts of being a disciple, I could sit at the feet and be a learner in either camp. And uh, I admit, if you go to one and then the other, it can get pretty uh, almost confusing. But uh, uh, they're both uh, strong and persuasive. <clears throat> but anyway, that's what discipleship. Perhaps a little example of discipleship. We we all we all are disciples. We in various aspects of life. But when it comes to this, to the aspect of uh, our spiritual lives and uh, and not just uh, our spiritual lives, but how that then works itself out in everyday life, there's really only one place we want to find that discipleship, isn't there? That we want to be a disciple, that we want to be a learner. And that is at the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> our little statement tells us that uh, in order to be a a disciple, we are, as we are disciples, therefore we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. I like to uh, uh, consider that for a bit. Uh, to be a disciple of Jesus, we must take up our cross. Uh, turn. Let's turn to the book of Matthew. We'll look at a few scriptures there in uh, regards to uh, taking up our cross as a believer. Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus says these words. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will, lo- will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. <clears throat> And there we have the principle, uh, the uh, the concept of cross-bearing. There are other scriptures that give uh, similar thoughts. Uh, we're in Matthew. Just turn back to Matthew 10, verse 38. Just breaking in again, Jesus says in verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me, there Jesus gives us the, the, uh, the, the truth that if we're not willing to take the cross, then we're not worthy of Him. Um, so it's, uh, the, the, the matter of uh, bearing the cross is a, a sobering uh, truth. In Mark 10.21, a similar thought, Jesus beholding Him, uh, loved Him and said unto Him, one thing thou lackest, go thy ways, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. <clears throat> so the, the, the call to take up the cross and follow Jesus is one that Jesus gave numerous times um, in his ministry and as he ministered to different people. And I guess sometimes it's, you know, it's kind of a question, what, what really is the cross? You know, we, we have lived in a, a country where there's been tolerance in many, many ways of, of, uh, of any kind of faith, really, uh, for many years. And uh, therefore, 
uh, everyone, you know, at this point at least uh, uh, understands and, and agrees that uh, you let people practice what they want to practice and you don't kill them for it type of thing. Uh, and yet, we also recognize that there is hostility when we uh, bring the Lord Jesus and the message of truth and repentance and, and uh, uh, following Christ to a sinner who is determined to live a life in his own, his own way, there's, there's hostility. There's uh, uh, reproach. There's uh, various things that take, can take place. And uh, when we think about uh, the cross uh, of Jesus, it is, it is that suffering, that, uh, that um, misunderstanding, that reproach, whatever comes our way because we love the Lord Jesus. Because we have determined that we're going to live our lives for Him, uh, and in in the in the world, as a follower of Christ, there will be there will be hostility, even in this world, and even becoming more so in this uh, country. <clears throat> Perhaps, as we think about the cross, maybe I thought maybe a contrast would help us understand uh, a little bit. Uh, you know, we're to, uh, as a disciple of Jesus, we're to uh, take up our cross. In uh, uh, going back to Matthew 16, I want to note a word there. Let's see, Matthew 16. Yes, Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus, as he uh, says, he speaks there. He says, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself." Maybe. Um, maybe where the cross meets us more uh, specifically is in this whole matter of denying ourselves. Uh, Let's think about that a bit. You know, as we think about what is the contrast of denying ourselves, in uh, in John, in 1 John, Familiar, familiar verses, John 2.15 through verse 17, where the scripture tells us to, to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." There we have the contrast of being a disciple of Jesus. And that is being a... I'm going to use it as a contrast at least. I suppose there would be other ways to contrast it. But being a disciple of this present evil world. Uh, being a disciple uh, of this world uh, would be being discipled in a very different way than being discipled in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. And we want to make that contrast just a bit here. The, uh, the cross calls us to deny ourself. Just like we read there in Matthew, uh, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That's the call of the cross, to deny ourselves. The world, on the contrast, continually turns our focus upon ourselves to pamper ourselves, to feed ourselves, to indulge ourselves. 
That's the world. The cross calls us to deny ourselves. And so, to be a disciple of Jesus, we must bear that cross and deny ourselves. The cross calls us to deny things that draw attention to us. The world calls us to do things on purpose to draw attention to us. That's just the nature of this world. It's all about you and all about your pleasure, all about your happiness, all about your enjoyment. That's the world. The cross calls us to deny uh, ourselves and uh, to draw the attention to ourselves. <clears throat> the cross calls us to live for others, to esteem others more important than ourselves. The world calls us to live for ourselves and to make ourselves number one, ourselves most important. It's a contrast. The cross calls us to music that worships God. Music that exalts God, esteems God with high reverence. Worships the Lord. Calls the human being to worship of God. The world calls us to music that worships the flesh. And the lusts of the flesh. That's the contrast. The cross calls us to be a nobody. What do you get? What do you think the world calls us to be? Somebody. Somebody. Yes, the world calls us to be a somebody. The cross calls us to focus on what I can give. The world calls us to focus on what I can get. You know, we could probably go on with a list like that for a long time. Uh, I suspect we could, and I, I would actually uh, encourage you to do that if you have opportunity. Think about some of those differences. You know, we are in the world, but as a disciple of Jesus, Jesus in his was it in his prayer where he said, uh, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. That's Christ's purpose. We're in the world, but not of the world. <clears throat> We're in the world, but not disciples of the world. We have the pressure of the world around us continually. But as we live in a world that is continually pressuring us with uh, their values, we purposefully choose to exercise ourselves in the values of Christ and His kingdom and His cross. It's a purposeful choice that we have to make because without a doubt, the... uh, The world will disciple us, may I say, 
I say at no cost. <laughs> In other words, we don't have to pay them to disciple us. They'll they'll do it. Uh, they'll do it uh, gladly. <clears throat> But like that scripture said there in John that we read, 1 John, the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And there's the uh, kind of the capstone to it all. You know, the world will pass away, but he that does the will of God abides forever. So to be a disciple of Jesus, we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. And I hope, I hope that that contrast can help us perhaps understand just a little bit what it might mean to take up our cross in our world today, uh, where we live and where life has us. Our second... uh, my second comment is that uh, to be a disciple of Jesus, we must live as strangers in this present world. Uh, Doug did touch that a bit. We'll maybe uh, we'll just read the scriptures there in Hebrews and make a few comments, and then we'll move on. Let's see, Hebrews eleven. Beginning in verse 13, 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, whereof God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. <clears throat> you know, a, uh, it says, Scripture tells us here that uh, they confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, a, a stranger is one who is not at home, who is not in his home country. You, know, you go to a foreign country, you're a stranger there. It's not your home country. Uh, as, as believers and as part of a heavenly country, we are strangers, right? We are in a country that's not our own. Even though we might even have a citizenship to this country, uh, if we have the attitude and the posture of heart that our uh, examples of faith in Hebrews here have, they uh, they didn't see this. They didn't see themselves as at home here. We're here, but we're not at home here. This is not our country. This is just a temporary country. It'll uh, it'll pass with all other uh, countries. But we have our eyes on a country that's eternal, and that's the posture of heart that we actually need to have as believers in Christ. And that will help us and keep us in this present evil world. The reality that this country uh, is, a, is, a, is a, a very temporary and that eventually it will pass away and we are uh, we're part of another country. 
You know, it seems, according to this uh, scripture, it seems uh, like God is just okay with the fact that if we are just not at home here in this uh, in this country. Uh, he says that uh, they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God's, uh, God is, in fact, pleased if we're not all entangled with this uh, present evil world and... Uh, and this present evil systems and countries and etc etc <clears throat> it seems rather to be a problem if we were at home if we were making this our focus if we were making this our pursuit that would rather be the problem <clears throat> so we live in this country with our eye our focus our heart on another country the heavenly country and the and it basically boils down to uh, the, a bottom line question of where are our affections? You know, like the uh, the uh, writer in Colossians chapter three says, "If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth." Um, if we're risen with Christ, it, you know, it's just saying the same thing: uh, a focus. A heart and affection that is set on a country that we don't see yet. On a, on a heavenly country. Rather than having it all entangled in this present evil world. And uh, systems and pursuits and goals. And you know even uh, the good things of working and being successful and all those kind of things can be entangling us to the point where we lose sight or our affections are here rather than there is basically what it boils down to. <clears throat> and again, just like First John tells us, the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. The next point I'd like us to consider just a bit is that of, uh, as a disciple of Christ, we live as stewards of uh, this earth, uh, our, our earthly possessions. The uh, statement t- uh, that we read, all that we have, all that we are and have belongs to Christ. Uh, we are, and basically that's saying we are stewards of the, the earthly possessions that we have rather than owners. Uh, something, you know, what is a steward? A steward is one who is entrusted with another's goods. Joseph. Uh, Doug uh, brought up the example of Joseph. Joseph was a steward. He was entrusted with the entire uh, uh, estate. Of that, uh, wasn't a pharaoh, was it, what was he called? Potiphar, yeah. Potiphar's estate. <clears throat> uh, he was a steward and a, quite an example of a steward. But that's, that gives us a perfect picture of a steward. Uh, in 1st, uh, Corinthians chapter 6, 
we have a scripture to consider. Verse 19 and 20, and the context here is how we handle our bodies. It says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Belong to God. <clears throat> so that, uh, that scripture gives us a very clear, uh, uh, word of ownership. <laughs> and the fact that, uh, we're not our own. We have been purchased. We've been bought with a price. Um, uh, we are the our our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, and uh, therefore we don't want to be just doing whatever we want to be doing because we have a spirit within us, a Holy Spirit within us that is endeavoring to walk out God's will in this body of flesh, and so we uh, we have to be careful that we uh, recognize that we're not our own; we're just. Uh, the uh, the energies, the health, the strength, the, the, the what God gives us, you know, it's a gift from God, and uh, uh, we're just a steward of it, of our time and of our energies and all those kind of things because we have been purchased. <clears throat> so our our health, our ability to work, an economy that supports our business. Uh, and all those kind of things. They're all things that we have no control over. And so, uh, if we are tempted to to think that, uh, well, you know, we're a good manager and uh, we uh, know how to do business and we know how to do this and do that and therefore, we're, we're entitled to uh, uh, this, the benefits, uh, all those kind of things, we, we have to be careful. Because really, it is the Lord that gives us the strength, gives us the health, gives us an economy where a business can succeed, and all those kind of things. It, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, the only reason this country has enjoyed uh, the peace, uh, you know, the, um, the absence of uh, civil wars uh, even, and all those kind of things, is not the power of men. I am thoroughly persuaded of that. It is not the power of men. It is not the government. It is not the armies. It is not the police force. It is the blessing of Almighty God. And the moment that God would withdraw that blessing, this country could be in chaos overnight. It could. It could happen. I am personally persuaded of that. And so, uh, you know, what we have, what we are, the opportunities that, come our way, are a blessing and a gift from God. And it's nothing of our own means. It's nothing of our own merits. It's nothing because uh, uh, we have done, uh, you know, we've done our homework just right and all those kind of things. We've been uh, frugal. We've been shrewd. We've been, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I realize that, uh, you know, the, the assets and the uh, opportunities that we have, we need to use them right. We need to, we need to, uh, you know, we, we, I, I feel we should be, uh, pursuing, uh, businesses where we can and are able and, and, uh, all those kind of things as, as long as the Lord gives opportunity for those kind of things here. But let's never, let's be careful, uh, to recognize that 
what we have is really a gift from God. It's really a gift from God. It's not uh, something we can just uh, grab a hold of and say, well, hey, it's my good efforts that got this, and and therefore it's my uh, discretion and how I enjoy this, you know, type of thing. But rather we're stewards, <clears throat> entrusted with, uh, first of all, the gift of health, entrusted with the ability to work, entrusted with an economy that supports our work, entrusted with an opportunity to have homes and, and at times home businesses, entrusted with an, even an opportunity to educate our children at home and all sorts of things like that. Things that have been entrusted to us and we are, we're granted opportunities and, uh, May we use them in a God-honoring and a God-fearing way and rejoice in God and give Him the praise and, and the uh, worship that is due Him. <clears throat> We're here caring for God's property. Could we see it that way? We're here caring for God's property. If that truly, if that is truly our focus, we will be looking for opportunities to share the resources that God has entrusted to us, to looking for opportunities to uh, be a blessing. Like, uh, was that just the last message I talked about? I believe it was when we talked about the uh, uh, First Corinthians there and how they were ministering and meeting needs and God was being glorified by it. Uh, if we have the posture of heart that we are, uh, God has entrusted these things to us, uh, we'll, we'll look for opportunities to turn them back into His kingdom, you know. Turn them back into His, uh, the growth of His kingdom and the ministering to the needs of others, which in turn actually converts them into eternal wealth in, uh, that will await, await us in, in eternity. <clears throat> so living as stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. As a disciple of Jesus, we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. We must live as strangers in this present evil world. Strangers, citizens of another country. Living as stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. Not going to spend a lot more time, but just wrap it up with a few more uh, practical thoughts. Um, we started out with the question, whose disciple Am I? <clears throat> you know, the, uh, like I said earlier, the world is also making disciples. They're also in the, in the discipling business, for sure. Um, and being quite aggressive about it. You know, the, uh, the apostate church is also making disciples. What do I mean by the apostate church? Maybe that's a word we don't use around here a whole lot. But it's a church that has fallen from grace, I'm going to say. You know, a church that has fallen away from uh, the true gospel. And uh, has um, a form or a profession, at least, of, of a faith. 
but uh, very little reality. And uh, there's there's a lot of uh, discipleship going on in that front as well. They're all trying very hard to mold our ideas and perspectives our personal ideas and perspectives into their mold. They want us to value what they value. They want us to march to the beat of the same drum that they march to. <clears throat> Who, Whose disciple am I? Let's think about... Um, the effects of discipleship, just for a bit. The television became popular and uh, uh, widely used around approximately 1948. That's about uh, 67 years ago. I don't know exactly when uh, some of the uh, more, you know, the Mennonite, it is today that I'm going to say the liberal Mennonite churches. I don't know when they, what year they actually accepted the uh, television. Um, but uh, we know, I think we all know well, that there is a large element of professed Christianity that has, either from the beginning or somewhere along the way, opened their hearts to the discipleship of the television which is actually the discipleship of the world. And we know that is true. You know, we are on this side of that piece of history. Uh, we can look back and we can see the... Uh, we can see the church being discipled into the very same ideas and concepts about life that the general populace of the world has had and, you know, carried and evolved as it, you know. And the church uh, walked right along uh, because the church was being discipled by the world. Um, it's just the way it was and just the way it is. And we can see that outcome. It probably still has a um, a large bearing on our world today, but there's other things, obviously, that have risen to a similar level of uh, influence uh, with the coming of Internet and all those electronic uh, abilities. But we do have to ask the question, who are we, who is discipling us? Who are, uh, who is discipling you? Who's discipling me? Who is discipling your children? Those are questions that we have to ask ourselves, I believe, in our world today. <clears throat> we can see, uh, the effects of, uh, being discipled, uh, by the television. And we can see the results. Is it Jesus? 
Is it the cross? Is it the word of God that is discipling us? That is discipling our children? Is that what it is? Is that what is discipling us? You know, these, uh, these other comments are comments that get made occasionally and sometimes you feel like a broken record, but I think it's a question we should think about when we think about who is discipling us. You know, is it Jesus? Is it the cross? And you know how we made that contrast between the cross and the world? Is that, in the Word of God, is that what is discipling us? Or is it, is it Facebook that is discipling us? Is it uh, a steady diet of internet use that is discipling us? That is shaping our... Shaping our perspectives that is influencing our ideas of what is truth and what is not. Uh, what is godliness and what is not? What is holiness and what is not? What does God require of his people? Uh, in this present world that we live in, what is shaping our thinking about that? Is it God, the cross, and his word? Or is it something else? Someone else? Um, so lots of discipling going on in our world. <clears throat> you know, is it uh, <clears throat> is it movies that are discipling us? Even Christian quote movies. And let's just think about that for a brief moment. Um, I'm going to and I'm going to suggest that uh, probably most of uh, the movie production is done, whether it's uh, well, whether it's Christian or not Christian, most of movie production is done by unbelievers. Uh, people who do not profess a faith in Jesus Christ, even actors at sight and sound uh, are professional actors who are not uh, necessarily professing any faith in Jesus Christ, but are doing uh, shows professionally. Um, Something to keep in mind as you think about who's discipling you and who's discipling your children. Uh, Most uh, movies are only a production done professionally by unbelievers for the sake of their business and their gain. And they will do them on whatever note they need to do them in order to get the gain they desire. And so if it takes a Christian twist to uh, uh, make a few bucks, they'll put the Christian twist in it. In fact, they'll put the whole Christian spread into it, if that's what it takes to sell the production. Um, Most, and I say most because uh, generally when you say all, you're not quite right. And so, think about it. 
Who is discipling you if you're sitting your family down in front of a movie, even a Christian movie, and you, uh, you watch that, and you're watching a movie that is being uh, portraying a Christianity whose values are very different than what I would believe the values of the cross would be? Think about that. Um, in light of... Uh, those kind of things. Perhaps the argument could be given that God uh, saves souls through them. You are right. God does and has. I don't, uh, don't debate that. God will use any means, whether it's of pretense or of truth. Uh, just like Paul said in uh, Philippians, I believe it was, whether the gospel is preached in pretense or truth uh, didn't really matter to him. The fact uh, that the message was going out, he was grateful for that. And I'm not, uh, and I feel this, that's exactly how I look at those kind of things. God is going to use them. Does that mean that uh, I need to subject myself to that discipleship? Not at all. Um, The uh, just a, a thought on uh, again the um, just the movie idea itself. Uh, I am told that um, television shows whatever the scene needs to be changing every three seconds. It needs to be at a very fast pace. Um, and I would encourage you, when you think about movie productions, we're not talking about something, you know, you could, somebody could stand back there with a video recorder and record me preaching up here. This is a normal life scene. It's at normal life pace. And it's nothing, and I'm not going none too fast here this morning, am I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> speed it up. <laughs> The uh, the um, the movie productions uh, and somewhere it, you know it, it changes from where you have uh, a, a recording of something that's just at normal life speed versus something that is just changing scenes very rapidly and moving to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and, next thing and so on and it's just moving very rapidly. I would uh, I would uh, personally uh, I would. Highly, 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 highly discourage uh, whetting your the appetites of your children for that movie scene, that fast pace, that quick change of pictures, and all those kind of things. I would highly discourage it. I think uh, I don't think you will regret it if you never uh, whet that appetite in the hearts and lives of your children. <clears throat> you know the. Uh, you know, we may say, well, the, the scenes, for example, the scenes of Christ's suffering on a movie very, can be quite graphic. And I've not actually seen any. Uh, and you might feel like, uh, you know, it's so powerful in moving people. And, uh, and it, it affects people greatly. Well, 
That is true, perhaps, and so do crime and murder scenes. They also affect people greatly. And so do sensually explicit scenes. They also affect people greatly. So, think about it. Your emotions and being affected in your emotions is pretty easily done. Uh, I just ask us a question, and I don't know where we're at. I'll, I'll acknowledge that there are times when I hear little ripplings of movies among us. I have not seen any. I've not. Nobody has told me that they watched any. Uh, but I hear the ripplings of it uh, here and there. And I, uh, I would... I would, I know we talked about the issue in brothers meeting probably a year ago or somewhere since the beginning of Oasis. I know we've discussed it. I would again just put in my plea that we would, that we would actually see movies as dangerous. Uh, and that we would actually go home and, uh, if we have them, I would actually encourage us to get rid of them. Uh, I don't think it will produce the kind of Christianity that you really want in your family and in your great-grandchildren and so forth. I don't think it will. Uh, years ago, Denny taught a lesson, a lesson on the uh, Christian radio, Brother Denny Keniston, and he concluded his lesson somewhere in the lesson. He talked about... Uh, going to the steakhouse and getting a, a, a nice platter of a beautifully done steak and vegetables and all those kind of things and having a very good meal versus going to the garbage can and sorting through the garbage can to try to find something to eat. And he likened that to going to the radio uh, to find some good. Uh, it's like going to the garbage can. And I would like to use that same illustration. I... I that's the way I would see the whole movie world, whether it's a Christian movie. Uh, and I am talking about Christian movie. I'm not talking about anything other than that. I trust and I hope that we uh, are fully persuaded that, that uh, we wouldn't uh, uh, entertain the idea of any, even the other. But I am talking about Christian movie. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I would see it as uh, looking in the garbage can when you have a full smorgasbord available to you for you to eat and enjoy. <clears throat> also, uh, think about it. Uh, music. You know, who is discipling you? Who is discipling your children? You know, music is something that is spoken on over and over and over again uh, over the years there to harmony we've had people come in and speak on the subject of music we've had uh, um, preachers talk about music and its effects music is a beautiful thing music is a powerful thing music is a powerful uh, uh, I don't know if you call it a vehicle or what, but it is, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And used in its right context, it is tremendously in benefiting and encouraging to the Christian. Uh, 
and intended to be that. Uh, intended to be that. <clears throat> but again, I have to ask, who is discipling your children? Is it a musician who is ungodly and bringing and, and singing some sort of demonic pretend Christian music? Um, think about it. And I realize the, uh, the, um, the lines on music aren't necessarily black and white, but there are, there's definitely some that should be, uh, not even entertained by the true Christian. And I don't have the names of the groups. I don't know them. But I just know that, uh, uh, anything of a Christian rock shouldn't even be in our CD shelves, shouldn't even be in our players. Uh, contemporary Christian music, which uh, can be more uh, a mix between, you know, the rock, Christian rock, and, and uh, uh, the, uh, I recognize the lines aren't, you know, black and white, but I would like to encourage us to rather than to, uh, to try to border the questionable, why don't we border the uh, side of being persuaded that it's good, it's healthy, it's upbuilding, it's God-honoring music? Uh, why border on the side of the questionable? Let's border on the side of that which we are convinced is God-honoring music. Think about it. <clears throat> Again, you have the very same thing happening there that you have with movies. Many times, uh, the musicians can be even unbelievers. Or, if they're a believer at all, they are uh, uh, very, 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 very loose in their belief. Um, and some of the uh, some of the professed, uh, uh, my wife had done a little bit of research, and I don't even know what for group it was, but on a particular group that she had gone on their website, uh, you would not have known by reading their website that it was a professed Christian group, and yet their recordings uh, claim Christianity as a, as a Christian. Uh, and the photos, you would have thought you were looking at a all-out rock group. You know, those things should uh, immediately put us, uh, shouldn't even be a question, should, uh, shouldn't even be a, uh, an if. <clears throat> Another question we could ask ourselves, you know, as parents, are you discipling your children? Or are their peers discipling them? You know, that's a kind of a sobering question, I trust. And I hope that all of you as parents desire to have a strong level of uh, influence in the lives of your children. I realize that... Uh, Friends do have influence, and in fact, I'm going to say that I believe that godly friends are a excellent 
support in uh, uh, the lives of our children. I appreciate it. I think it helps me tremendously when uh, my children have godly peers. So I'm not afraid of that <clears throat> at all. However, um, we also recognize that influence and influence of peers can be, uh, can work against. It can work against what parents are desiring for their children and their family. And, uh, you know, I guess that's a question that we have to consider. Who is influencing, who is, uh, who is discipling? Our children, you know, are we uh, as parents able to have a place of discipleship in their lives and able to, uh, or are there peers who are actually discipling them contrary to what we would want to see? And that's, that happens, happens, happens a lot in, unfortunately happens a lot in churches. Be nice if it wouldn't. Be nice if uh, if uh, church could always be a safe place, but we know that's not necessarily the case. I'd like to close with Romans twelve verse one and two. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And there we have the exact idea that we've been talking about. Uh, Be not... uh, Conform to this world. In other words, don't be discipled by this world. Don't allow this world to disciple you. Don't allow this world to to uh, shape your thinking and your perspectives and your uh, um, ideas about truth, about God, about life, about the brevity of life, about. What is right and what is wrong. Don't allow the world to shape your thinking. Allow rather the word of God to be that which transforms your mind. Renews your mind. Keeps bringing you back to the focus over and over again. The focus of God. Of who God is. Of what truth is. Of what God's will is for us as believers upon earth. God has a will for us. He has a purpose for us here. And we want to find that will and live within it. Uh, and uh, we don't want to be uh, uh, walking on the edge of uh, whether we're in the will of God or not, you know, type of thing. But we want to walk in the will of God. And that's, uh, that's uh, what this verse is advocating, that we would be a disciple of the Lord rather than a disciple of the world. And that we would allow our... Uh, thoughts, hearts, and minds to be shaped uh, by the word of God and by the will of God, that we would have an understanding of of God's will and walk in it. So, I would probably again close with that thought, whose disciple am I? Whose disciple am I? Shall we just take a moment...
and pray. Father, we're grateful today that we have the opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus. We recognize that there are those in this world who've never even had that opportunity. No one has ever told them that there is a Jesus and that they can be a disciple of him and that they can know truth and truth can set them free. Father, we are so privileged here today. Now, Father, we do ask again, we recognize that Satan is uh, not a respecter of persons. His goal and attempt is to destroy whomsoever he possibly can and in whatsoever way he possibly can. And so his tactics here in this uh, country and in this uh, setting and even in our churches here can be a very different tactic than he would use in Africa or or, uh, Haiti or some other part of the world where where situations are different. But Father, we're not uh, we're not um, uh, naive to his uh, existence and his attempts. And today, Father, we again pray and ask that uh, the kingdom of darkness and the devil would be again dealt a a blow as we ponder truth and as we respond to truth. Father, we pray that uh, all of us here today could have open hearts to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the walk of faith and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, and that thereby we could be a contribution to the eternal kingdom and automatically have a detrimental effect in the kingdom of darkness. So, Father, bless each one present. Continue to lead us, build us up in the faith. Grant us grace in the Holy Ghost. And, Father, thank you for freedom to gather and worship this way. We ask that you continue to bless and direct those in governments who hold, in a sense, the power. It grants us that freedom. And, Lord, we just uh, pray that you would continue to influence their hearts in such a way that they may accomplish your will in your intended times. Lord, we ask, be with us and keep us in Christ's name. Amen.